reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 8 and reading verses 5 to 8, I invite uh, your hearing of God's word both in reverence and in faith. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, The essence of our uh, faith is uh, to live a life that would be pleasing to God. And uh, God gives us the Spirit so that we please Him. And so that uh, our ability to, to please God is based upon life in the Spirit, that the work of the triune God, that the Spirit comes to enable and empower us to please uh, God. Contextually, we are establishing the fruits and the application and outworking of the righteousness of God in sanctification and glorification as the basis of our uh, final hope and assurance. And the basis, of course, of our eschatological victory is that we have the Spirit. If you ponder that, uh, really quite uh, settling and encouraging, Uh, because uh, God doesn't say, well, I've, I've done what I can do, Uh, best wishes, I hope you make it. Uh, No, I mean, we are his sons and daughters. He gives us the spirit so that we will make it. Uh, And that is really the the context of this great text, Romans chapter 8, so that the work of the spirit, uh, not our work, but the work of the spirit guarantees our victory. Uh, And in part, we have this hope Uh, because of the change that he's working within us. And change uh, is another uh, hope and assurance that that we belong to God. We have the promise of Scripture, uh, but we also have uh, the inworking of the change uh, by life in the Spirit as evidence that we are the sons of God. This is quite evident our text is a contrast between the man who does not have the Spirit and the man who does. Uh, Previously, we learned that Christians escape condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation. We also learned that we walk by the Spirit. So the compelling characteristic of our life is we walk by the Spirit. Uh, We have the Spirit. All of the sons of God have the Spirit. Uh, But here, of course, the contrast is between the saved and the lost, uh, the Christian and the non-Christian. Two men, if you will, one has the Spirit, one does not. Two outcomes. Uh, One will come to ruin and the other will come to life and peace. Uh, Christians have the Spirit who, again, is the enabling power of our victory and assurance. Uh, So let's look at the non-Christian who does not have the Spirit and more radically is unable 
to please God. Now the positive side uh, of this is as Christians we do. But this is the negative. It's a compelling negative. Uh, Paul is uh, telling all men without exception that absent the Spirit, they cannot and will not please God and therefore will come to ruin. Uh, the man, according to the flesh, sets his mind or thinks the things of the flesh. Uh, the reference here is to the fallen nature of mankind that governs his life. Uh, his thought processes and the governing disposition of his mind is according to his fallen nature. He can do no other. It's one of the reasons that he cannot please God. It's not the only reason, but it's the compelling reason here. He cannot please God because he's fallen. And his fallen nature is the governing disposition of what he thinks, and what he does. Uh, he thinks and reasons after this disposition. He can do nothing else. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations uh, borrowed from someone I know not of is uh, that of uh, the lion. The lion is carnivorous. It is his nature. You can set the finest salad and vegetable medley before the lion, and he will never, never partake because it's contrary to his nature. And so the fallen man because of his nature, will always think that which is contrary to the will of God. And what he thinks and does is determined by what? His nature. We, we oftentimes think that our will governs our lives. No, our nature governs our will that governs our lives. And if you have a fallen nature, then everything is corrupted. So the theology uh, you and I know is uh, total depravity. Uh, specifically, that the fall affected the mind and corrupted it. And so what does the fallen man, uh, man's mind do? Uh, well, he thinks of himself first. What's, what's best for me? What pleases me? Uh, he doesn't think, well, uh, what, what will please God so that I can secure his blessing? Because of his fallen mind... Uh, that is determined by his fallen nature, he will always think, what is in my best interest? Uh, of course, in terms of total depravity, the fall affected his emotions and will and everything uh, else about him. But here in Romans chapter 8, the emphasis is upon the fallen mind. Uh, the corollary to total depravity, again, speaking uh, theologically, is total inability. Uh, we are unable to come to God because we've lost our minds, absent Jesus Christ and the new birth. Totally unable. Uh, now, now, again, I, I stress this because people oftentimes will wonder, well, I mean, what about the, you know, what about the natural world? I mean, uh, men do a lot of great things. Many non-Christians make great contributions to society. Uh, but this truth is not speaking of fallen men's contributions to society. Uh, it encompasses uh, 
man's total inability to come to God and his total inability to please God. He cannot please God. Unable. Now, you and I are thankful for natural man's contributions by common grace, but he makes no contributions to saving grace because he's unable. Uh, his fallen mind leads him to death because his mind is in enmity with God, and he does not subject himself to the will of God because he's not able to do so. Great compelling text here, uh, one of which I'm sure you are aware, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually praised. Why is that? Because he's lost his mind. His mind governed by his fallen nature. He cannot understand the things of God because they're spiritually appraised. And he cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God because he's fallen. Uh, so um, he's unable to please God. What's God's response? God rejects him. Uh, and this negates, therefore, any contribution uh, that he presumes he can make before God. Uh, they're, they're simply not accepted. They are, they are rejected. Uh, reminder in terms of an application here. Absent the Spirit, God rejects all human religion because they are just that, absent the Spirit. And absent the Spirit, man cannot please God. So think of every house of worship all over the world. Men and women gathering, presuming that they can please God. They want to please God. And they bring sacrifices or prayers or whatever to please God. Absent the Spirit, they cannot please God. And therefore, they are rejected. Simple uh, proclamation of the words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, rejection of all religion. Uh, because only one faith has the Spirit, and that's the Christian faith. So let's look at, uh, I mean, that's the negative. It's a, it's a terrible negative. I mean, it's a chilling negative. Summary execution of rejection of all religion. Uh, but God is gracious. He, uh, he provides the Spirit. So let's, let's look at the positive. Uh, conversely, the man of the Spirit thinks the things of the Spirit, and he is able to please God. Why is he able? Because he has a spirit. What has changed his inability to ability? The answer is the spirit of God. Life in the spirit. So the Christian is uh, given a new nature. The spirit by grace has given him a new mind, and he thinks differently. He wants to please God. And now he's able because of life in the Spirit. Spirit by grace has given him that ability. 
Uh, I would remind you that this has nothing to do with taking a course on self-improvement. I mean, I'm all for courses on self-improvement. But this has nothing to do with that. It's the simple recognition that it comes by life in the Spirit. And it comes because God gives it sovereignly by grace. Uh, This has nothing to do with spirituality. I say that because uh, more and more uh, I meet people who say, uh, Phil, uh, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. And, you know, praise God for that, but it, it, it does not turn uh, the face of God in blessing. The human condition, absent the spirit, uh, is uh, rejected. Uh, pure and simple, we have the spirit by the new birth. And the spirit engages the new birth. Uh, let's turn again to two very familiar passages. Prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 27. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So we walk in God's statutes. We please God based on what? He puts his spirit within us. That's life in the spirit from the point of view of the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, Let's look at chapter 37, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Again, it's a vision of the valley of dry bones. The bones reference death. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you so that you may come to life. Uh, in in uh, uh, Greek Old Testament, the word for breath is same as the word for spirit. So God gives us his spirit. We come to life. Um, so the spirit, uh, to use uh, the metaphor of a tradesman, uh, rewires our minds to turn our thoughts to the things of God. The new man in Christ thinks differently. Uh, His thought processes and the governing disposition of his thoughts are according to the new birth. Uh, The mind governed by the Spirit results in life and peace. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, So contextually, God has reconciled us to himself. The outcome is spiritual life and peace. We we are now uh, alive. I would remind you that there's no middle ground. There's only only two. The man uh, in which the spirit does not dwell and the man or the woman uh, where the spirit dwells. Now, contextually, uh, this is simply one chapter, of hundreds of chapters in the Bible. Uh, Many of them speak to the work of Christians. This this text is not speaking to that. It will uh, eventually, Paul will, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, uh, where he engages us to act. But that's not his subject here. The subject here is the acts of the Spirit. Uh, 
the Spirit working within us uh, to please God uh, so that God will accept. So, so think of it this way. Um, God is pleased with what he does. And when the Spirit is in our lives and is at work, he's pleased with the work of the Spirit. Now, again, there's many things that we do that would please God, but that's not the subject matter here. The subject matter here is the work of the Spirit. And I will tell you over and over again in the Christian faith, God is pleased with what he does. And so we have life in the Spirit, and that pleases God. In pleasing God, he accepts us. So a mental test for you based on what? Your works or life in the Spirit? You all answered, I know, life in the Spirit. That's how we please God, the grace of God in the gift of the Spirit. Uh, so the outcome of his work and the basis of our assurance and victory is driven by the Spirit, life in the Spirit. Uh, most Christian denominations do not think this way. Uh, they, they think that uh, they can lose life in the Spirit. As if God gives them a gift and then, uh, for whatever reason, perhaps some nefarious deed that they have thought or accomplished, the Spirit is withdrawn. Uh, so, Christ can win them and then lose them. And so they're always on a quest for assurance and a sense of victory. I think contrary. We have assurance because of life in the Spirit. We have victory because of the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's a matter, really, of the work of the triune God. Uh, I would assure you that if it was based upon anything that I could do or you could do, you would have every reason to be troubled. Don't be troubled. It's based upon the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And their works do not unravel. If they could, they would not be God. Now, uh, I remind you that nowhere uh, does Paul mention perfection in our lives or in our thought processes. Uh, his emphasis here is changed by life in the Spirit. And that change occurs over time and in degree as the Spirit sovereignly wills to work. Uh, bring to your remembrance, the great text in John chapter 3. The wind blows where it will. And I also might add that the wind and the intensity of the wind is as the Spirit wills it. The point is the Spirit, that He's going to change. And by life in the Spirit, we uh, are enabled to please God and therefore have a life of joy and peace. Uh, and in sanctification, that change continues uninterruptedly until we are glorified. Uh, now, there's something else that's not in this text. 
Perfection's not in it because we don't believe in perfection. Uh, by the way, some denominations do. Uh, Wesleyan Methodism and certainly uh, the Nazarene Church hold that a Christian can achieve uh, perfection in this life. Um, best wishes. Uh, they simply cannot, other than redefining sin. Well, if we redefine lots of things, we can, we can establish lots of views, but we're not given to redefine. We're given the scriptures to define. Uh, but this text um, uh, does not speak uh, to conflict or occasional interruption. Only the victory is certain. Uh, the point of that, uh, Paul will, uh, in the end of this uh, text, uh, speak in radical terms of our assurance and victory. Uh, but uh, those uh, words also speak to conflict, tribulation, distress, being charged by people, being rejected like Christ was rejected. So the end of this chapter will speak to a great deal of conflict. How will we overcome? When the answer is, as I've suggested, life in the Spirit. The Spirit works uh, nothing less. Uh, what the Spirit begins in the new birth, He finishes. Now, one of my favorite texts in this regard is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And being confident of this very thing, that He who hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. At no point does the Spirit ever leave us? Always at work. Thank God. And that is the basis of our assurance and victory. Uh, to our ultimate success, the Spirit is not just pledged, the Spirit is given. Uh, let's speak to some illustrations. Some good ones and some not-so-good ones. Because there are men and women who do not have the Spirit. Now, Paul gives us an example to uh, follow and uh, a mindset to have in uh, Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So an attitude is based upon a mind. Paul has just affirmed that God, by the Spirit, has given us new minds. So we have the ability to do just this. And literally the text is, think this. How can we think except God has given us new minds? Well, he has, by the work of the Spirit. So we can think this. Uh, it's also instructive that this is a present imperative with the force, keep thinking this. We can, because we're now able. How are we able? By life in the Spirit. The example here is Christ, of course. We should think like him. Because of the Spirit, we can do just that. Uh, we have this, the opposite, Philippians chapter 3. 
Let's look very quickly to set in context something. Verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. Think this, if you will. Have this mind. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. And then Paul says, For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and his glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. What is that telling you? They have not the Spirit. If they set their minds on earthly things, they have not the Spirit. The Spirit works the opposite in us, that we set our minds on heavenly things as a product of the work of the Spirit. This is the man uh, who is dominated by false religion. It's a controlling passion of his life. The context is the Judaizer who is attempting to get the church to go back to the Mosaic law to supplement the salvation accomplished by Christ. There's lots of theological problems with that, but I just pose a couple of them for you. We cannot supplement the perfection of the work of Christ. The, the, the concept of supplementing the work of Christ means that his work is less than perfect. Now, what is it? Is it a perfect work or an imperfect work? Uh, again, you, you, it's, a, it's a theological issue you really need to deal with. In terms of salvation, we don't supplement. He does it all. The perfections of his work defy supplementation. We don't do or add to perfection. It's the very nature of the atonement. Having finished it, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father because it was finished. The high priest, I'm quoting to you from the book of Hebrews, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, every year to make sacrifice for the people, to pray for the people. Christ entered the heavenly tabernacle one time, for all time. He offered one sacrifice for all time. Why is that? Because it was a perfect sacrifice. Defying supplementation. So the Judaizer is incorrect. But that's everywhere in our culture. You've been saved, you have to be baptized. Because you've got to complete the process. Now I'm all for baptism, as you know. It's a sacrament. Christians uh, are to be baptized. But not to supplement their salvation. They do it as an evidence that God has saved them. Um, another text, that, it's a beautiful text, Colossians uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on these things. Set your minds. What have I been saying? God in the Spirit has given us a new mind. So we can do this. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. Uh, so uh, we think the things of God, and we have a life of joy and peace. 
beautiful reminder. Uh, because we have life in the Spirit, we can do these things. And they please God because of our life in the Spirit. Let's turn to a very tragic example. This is kind of a heart-rending example. Uh, it's not the only example. It's just simply uh, one of many. Uh, but uh, it's a very telling one. You have your Old Testament, First uh, Samuel, chapter 16. It's a great conflict going on between um, Saul and David. And uh, um, Saul uh, is very, very troubled. And in chapter 16, 14 verse, we read, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The Spirit came upon Saul, of course, because uh, he was anointed king to help him in his physical duties as king, but not in regeneration. The Spirit of God had come on Saul in terms of regeneration. The Spirit of God would have never left him. Because the Spirit does not desert those for whom the Son affected justification. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. From this time going forward, Saul is a very, very troubled man persecuted by an evil spirit because he has not the spirit of God. Contrast is David. He has the spirit. Who do you think wins this battle? Save Saul or David? Well, you know the answer David does. Why does David win? Because he has the spirit. Was David's life a life of perfection? Absolutely not but he had the Spirit. The Spirit was never taken from him. Praise God. You and I don't live lives of perfection, but the Spirit does not depart from us. Because he who has begun a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Christ. He remains on station, does not depart. I mean, it's a, it's a tragic verse, but it's a life of a man of the flesh. And as you know, the story does not end well. And so it is with the natural man who has not the spirit. His life, regardless of his physical accomplishments or mental accomplishments for that matter, as butcher, baker, or candlestick maker will all unravel and come to a tragic ruin and end because they have not the Spirit and they cannot please God. And therefore, they are rejected by God. Um, simply the lesson of Saul and David, as well as the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, in this great contrast between the man who thinks after the flesh and the man who thinks after the Spirit. Based upon the absence or the presence of the Holy Spirit.
And there's no question that um, having the Spirit is an evidence that we have the Son. Notice verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And so all for whom Christ gave his life in ransom have the Spirit. If we belong to Christ by virtue of the work of justification, we necessarily have the Spirit. The great beauty of the tandem of the work of the triune God. The reason we have assurance and victory, it's based upon their work and not ours. I'm not unmindful that we work. That will come in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But even then, as you know, our works do not supplement the perfections of the work of Christ. Our works do not cause regeneration. They really do not even cause sanctification. The Spirit causes that, thank God. And praise be to God that the Spirit is given to all of the sons of God. Uh, if you will, the Spirit makes progressive moral change based upon the legal accomplishments of Christ and our justification. Now, I quickly remind you, uh, because of time, um, there are uh, denominations that hold that we, uh, we, we come to Christ, salvation, uh, and, then we, and then we have to catch the Spirit. Uh, oftentimes, that's evidenced by speaking in heavenly, heavenly tongues. Uh, Paul seems to be speaking uh, the contrary to that here in uh, Romans chapter 8. You have the Son, you have the Spirit. You belong to Christ. The Spirit lives within. Life in the Spirit. The beauty of, of our faith. So, so that I would say we don't catch the Spirit, He catches us. The theological term is regeneration. And what He begins, He finishes. Now there's lots of things in between those two events. Struggles and difficulties and persecution, distress, and sometimes, God forbid, even our sin. What he begins, he finishes. Compelling theology of the work of the Spirit. Uh, what life in the Spirit means is that he makes changes. And this pleases God. For God is always pleased with the very works that he does within us. And that's the importance of life in the Spirit. So isn't it interesting in our faith God gives us the condition to please Him. And then graciously and sovereignly gives us the Spirit to meet His own condition. That's grace and mercy. That's also the assurance and the joy that our victory is certain the work of the great triune God.